Australia, and give these boys a cheer. We are looking for the smoke at any moment. They're about to do it. You cannot be serious. It was at this point in the game that Woodfall was unfortunately struck on the heart by a ball from Larwood which got up. But no one can go with this girl. She's away. That was no phantom. That was no phantom punch. At little expense to the management, let me introduce to you the heavyweight tactics in sport champions of the world. And in the red corner, weighing in like a man on a mission and in a position, we have the dodging dirty Gordito. And languishing in the blue corner, weighing in with stories not so tall and not true at all, is the Roundhouse Rye Driver. And welcome to Radioactive 99.94 FM. The program is The Gloves Are Off. And this week we have Tactics in Sport are on. We'll have no phantom punch and hopefully no biting. Some momentous swing and blow the Jeff horn. And maybe Lionel will rise. We're going to clip, jab, counter-lunch, punch and hug in the clinches. Never throw in the towel and hopefully you'll be saved by the bell. So let's have a clean sample. I mean a clean fight. And go the distance for the big purse and not kiss the canvas. Percy Jones, who played for Carlton. Oh, very good. No, what about Percy Johnson? Uh, Percy Serity, running along the Sandhills. Oh, look, great to be here, Rye. And uh, tell you what, there's a plethora of tactics that we're going to be discussing today on 99.94. Of course, the ancient Greek god of tactics was Tacticalopolis, whose viewpoint was to manoeuvre, dodge, scam, to arrange and put in order. I'd like to start the program and review soccer. The tactic that's eroded the world game, the dive, the tumble, fall, fame. This tactic has been modelled on method acting as developed by the Russian actor, producer, writer, Konstantin Stavislavsky. As evidenced in the 2006 World Cup match between the Socceroos and Italy, That's right. when Fabio Grosso took a dive. Yeah, it was great. He took a full-on dive over the poor old Lucas Neal, who was having a bit of a snooze in the final minutes of the match. The Italians get the penalty, and they nail it. Go on to win the World Cup. Now, we, we could have won the World Cup. That was Australia's best yep. chance. I call it the great fame. Now, I have a theory. Go on. Uh, he was trying to build a character and create a role. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So what was it what, from a western where he's about to be shot dead and he had to just collapse in a heap? Exactly. Yes. Very oh, famous. I think, very yeah, famous. I mean, Jack Nicholson used it. The Brazilian Neymar used it in the recent World Cup, I think. Al Pacino uses it. Now, what about oh. the great Diego Maradona with oh. his hand of God? churning of the stomach for the English supporters when Maradona found a way to knock the ball into the net with the hand of God. Exactly. Well, having said that, Maradona, a number of minutes later, kicked one of the greatest goals of World Cup history. Just dribbled the ball around about 15 different defenders, plus the coach. Yeah. Uh, There was a couple of extra supporters who went out there and tried to take him on. Yeah. Dribbled around them. Uh. Boot stutter ran out there and tried (laughs) to tackle him. (laughs) The man with the cordial. The the ref couldn't tackle him. Oh, the ref tried, put the boots in. (laughs) No, brilliant player. Oh, it was magnificent. I'd like to run this one past you, Dirty. Florence Griffiths Joyner. Flojo. Ferociously fast, flamboyant, and fabulous. She could switch that lunge button to propel herself down that track like a hellfire missile. Three gold medals at Barcelona speaks for itself. Her tactics included fashionable nails, tight, racy and outrageously sexy multicoloured outfits. Yes, compared to the uh, 1956 Olympics at Melbourne where they were practically wearing parachute pants. Exactly. It was, it was different. She was out there, flying. She could run. She was fast. Sadly, Flojo died in her sleep 
at the age of 38 from an epileptic seizure. Uh, way too so young. young. Wasn't she brilliant? Oh, she was fast. Well, I know you're a big fan of tennis there, Ryan. Of course, the great John McEnroe, the big left-handed server and uh, deft touch at the net. Now, he is screaming rage to hype himself up while arresting the momentum when an opponent started to get on top of him. Disputing line calls, insulting umpires, dealing with referees became a common part of his game. Now, as much as officials wanted to stamp it out, they knew that it promised bums on seats to watch the performance of this great player with a hot temper. So the tactic was permitted to prevail until the 1990 Australian Open when, about time, he was defaulted out of the tournament. Now, I've been doing a bit of research on the Super Brat, and he had some extremely oh, yeah. volatile tirades <laughs> throughout his career <laughs> and gave him a reputation as the infant terrible of the tennis world. I've got a couple here. We'll go to the top five. Yeah, yeah, hit me. What do you got? Okay. What's the problem with you besides being unemployed, a moron, and a dork? Ah, John, what about <laughs> disgrace to mankind? That was one of his. Yeah. Answer the question. The question, jerk. Yeah, he loved that. <laughs> Mate, no, look, his classic rhyme for me yeah, was, okay, mate. you cannot be serious. The ball was on the line. Chalk flew up. Oh, and he had that headband on. Oh, yeah, the big curly hair. And his yeah. tight shorts. Yeah. And, of course, back in the day, when I played tennis... I had the skinny legs, and I was a left-hander, and they used to call me Mac. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's because of your likeness to John McEnroe, exactly, or your likeness for Mrs. Mac's pies. <laughs> <laughs> the only difference between you and him was he had some, he had some ability. Yeah, he did. <laughs> My favourite and the last one, talking about the top five from the Super Brat, was you're pathetic. You're the worst umpire I've ever seen in my life. Do you still have problems with your wife? Grow some hair. John, <laughs> just concentrate on hitting the damn ball, would oh, you? I loved him. But what about in today's tennis? A yeah. couple of Australians, yeah. pretty poor. Well, I'd say... Kenny right. Rosewell, oh, Louis right. Ho, yeah. Legends of the game, John Rocket the Rod. Oh, gentlemen, gentlemen. What's happened the to the game? Shall we move on to one of my favourite topics, and that's sledging? Well, some players seek to gain advantage by insulting and verbally intimidating the opposition. Don't like this tactic. I think it's poor sportsmanship. Some people think it's pretty tricky and harmless banter. Well, it depends. There's a, there's a very furry grey area called the line that some people cross. Yeah. And if, if it's good-natured banter, fair enough. Well, once it becomes personal and so on, no, I'm, I'm not... What right. about the ugly Australians led by the infamous yeah. Ian Chappell? According to Ian Chappell, the yeah. use of sledging originated at the Adelaide Oval in the early 60s. Chappell should know. OK, Chappell claims that a cricketer who swore in the presence of a woman was said to have reacted to the incident like a sledgehammer. There is another theory, according to Pat Murphy, a cricketer called Graham Calling. Yeah, he's a good player, played test cricket for Australia. And New South Wales, bowler. Yeah. The suggestion was, the rumour was, that Calling's wife was having an affair with another teammate. Yeah, so that was Calling's Calling. Yes, and when Calling came into bat, the fielding team started singing the old Percy Sledge number. Ah, OK.
They say that sledging evolved as a term in the mid-70s, although yeah. historical accounts of witty banter between players being quite common back in the day when the doctor, the big boy, W.G. Grace and his brother E.M. Grace were noted throughout their career for being noisy, boisterous, on the field. What about the cousin Amazing? Oh, what about Saving Grace? Oh, yeah, uh, Princess Grace? You're a disgrace. Yeah, very good, <laughs> good player. Not bad. They're all part of it, Rye. Right? Yeah. Big Merv Hughes. Yeah, I don't think Big he was Big swerving... Thing. No, he was an intimidator <laughs> and an aggressive bowler whose style was sometimes accompanied by a mixture of humorous witticisms and some spiteful abuse. You wouldn't think it, but he did. In one particular game, Dirty Gordito, he was bowling to the Pakistan champion batsman, who had a bit of a temper himself. Jarvid, me and Dad. Good player. Me and Dad promptly informed the overweight bowler, that Susie, Swervin Mervin, that he was too fat to be playing cricket and should be driving buses. <laughs> what, with that big moustache? <laughs> yeah, yeah. pounding in. <laughs> hey, guts flying everywhere. Anyway, soon after, Husey got rid of him, got him out, caught in the slips. Yeah, good stuff. Yep. Uh, on his way back to the pavilion, Husey stopped him and said, Ticket, please. She's got a ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride. All right, yeah, let's go there with a bit of body line, because certainly, right, that, that was a, a very famous tactic, because um, following the unprecedented success of Donald Bradman in the 1930s Ashes series in England, England captain Douglas Jardine devised this violent and unsporting tactic to combat Bradman's extraordinary talent. It was successful in somewhat taming Bradman's influence, and England convincingly won the series 4-1, but it severely strained Anglo-Australian relations and resulted in the rules being changed to prevent the improper intimidation of batsmen. You know Vic Richardson, don't you? Now, there was a man who never took a backward step. Look, here's a volatile character himself, right? And look, very good player, Captain Australia. The grandfather of the Chapel Brothers. That's him. Who played in the body line. Yeah. Played top-line football and cricket. And, of course, they, they named the Victor Richardson Gates after him. Well, the story goes that he opened the dressing room, the Australian dressing room, after a hard day's work in the field, standing there, very upset and all worked up, and demanding an apology was Douglas Jardine. Douglas Jardine is owed no apology by no Australian ride driver. Well, what right did he have? He just had Larwood steaming in there and hitting Bert Oldfield on the scone and, and Bill Woodfull copped one over the heart. What, what was going on with Jardine? Well, he was demanding an apology after he overheard one of the Australians sledging Larwood. And what did he have to say? Richardson's reply was, OK. Which one of you bastards called Larwood a bastard instead of this bastard? Yeah, sounds like Vic Richardson. Now, yeah. would the great Donald Bradman have resorted to that sort of line, Rye? I don't think so. Summer 1932, and Captain Douglas had a plan. When Larwood bolted to Bradman, it was more than man to man. And State Adelaide nearly boiled over. What about 1974, the great rumble in the jungle? Against all odds, Muhammad Ali outsmarted the massive, heavy-hitting George Foreman by resting against the ropes, copping body blows whilst Foreman wore himself out. 
Now, Ali knew Foreman's bouts were generally over within four rounds. So Ali took him to eight rounds and then knocked him out in an historic upset. He was an amazingly skilled boxer and the tactics were just superb on that, on that occasion against Foreman. Oh, he did. How he good was that? Foreman. Hey, didn't he have a toasted sandwich maker? <laughs> Yeah, it was actually a grill, I think, right, where it sort of dropped the fat the, into the tray. So the George Foreman grill. Brilliant. Yep. yep. We've got a couple out the back that we, we might give away as a prize maybe when we uh, do a bit of Stars and 45 later. We're going to go to the Sport of Kings era, I think, right, with a bit of horse racing. Now, what about the fine cotton episode? Wasn't that an amazing use of watercolours to paint the horse, bold personality, to run under the name of fine cotton, and unfortunately they got caught out. Oh, How was that yeah. for a tactic? They would have got away with it, except it rained, and I think the paint was dribbling <laughs> off it. And I put it down to um, drawing on their naturalistic and impressionist ideas from the Heidelberg School with quaint pastel colours capturing uh, the horse's movement, its rhythm, its beautiful form, the value and the emphasis of the racing world. Or they were just trying to cheat. Yeah, cheaters. Yeah. And got caught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how stupid were they, really? You sure know. that wasn't Tonya Harding's husband involved in the the tactic with there? Mr. Eckert? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Let's move it up a bit, there, Dirty Gordito. Aussie rules: flooding, crowding the back line. Don't like it. No, you you don't like it. Where did that start? One of the earliest accounts of flooding in Australian reels happened in the 1860s in a match between Geelong and Ballarat. Goalless and kicking against the gale, Geelong captain Tom Wills ordered every player into right. the back line. 1860. The Ballarat fans went ballistic and yelled some undignified verbal abuse at Mr Wills. He made up the rules, so he could have played any rules he wanted, Tom Wills. Tom Wills, Stewie yeah. Harrison, That's right, yeah. sat but down in a pub in Richmond one night and wrote what, a best On the back of the coasters. Exactly. <laughs> Did they have coasters then? Uh, probably. Yeah, more than likely. Oh, flooding became an attacking tactic when Rodney Rocket Ede coached the Sydney Swans in order to give star full forward oh. Tony Plugger, get out of my way or I'll kill you locket, <laughs> room to move on that small Sydney ground. He loaded extra players into defence. Now, the idea, Dirty, was to force a quick turnover, then swift ball movement into locker who had ample space to lead into. Getting back to flooding, my theory is that Terry Wallace... The Western Bulldogs and the Richmond Footy Club. He was a very good player. One afternoon, played for Hawthorne, one afternoon was watching his grandson play Oz Kick. Oh. Nippers. No. <laughs> Go on. No. no and play. notice all the little kiddies chasing and following the ball and not staying in their positions. <laughs> the umpire stops the game, blows his whistle and says, back to your positions, please. And uh, within a minute, they're all flooding the ball. ball. You reckon they came from that, yeah? Yeah, yeah. this was the inspiration that changed the game and opened the floodgates to the super flood. Well, there was some tactics that they tried uh, against Tony Lockett, of course. Now, I'm not sure they were very successful. They used to try and put a man about 15, 20 metres in front of Lockett to sort of, you know, cut off his leads and so on. Now, do you remember that? that, that How would they do that? How would they pick? How would they choose? Well, oh, the biggest idiot in the club? Yeah, yeah, probably. Who's the most disliked person? Oh, the most disliked person in the club. club. Your role this week, ride driver, is to stand there and hold the plugger 
Yeah. Don't take what's coming to you. Yeah. You don't see my driver. He's holidaying in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, He's yeah. on a long holiday, never to be seen again. Actually, you mentioned Wayne Carey. Surprising now for his little it. episode that they didn't actually um, in the take him into that role. Who yeah. else have we got? Uh, Gary Lyon, maybe. Oh, Gary. <laughs> the only problem is he'd be chased by Billy Brownless. With a pickaxe. <laughs> that had to be it, right? Whoever's the most unpopular bloke well, in the club, that's your role. Go and stand in front of Plugger, and we'll see you in hospital. Yeah. Oh, who else did he kill just He was, he was a great player, but of course he, he ran through Peter Caven, and he, and he knocked oh. Guy McKenna out, and, and poor oh. old Brad Fox got caught in a wrestle with him, and basically, I think was clinically he was dead clinically for a number dead, of yeah. seconds, could oh. not breathe. There'll never be another Tony Lockett for as long as we live. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about rugby union with the British Lions back in 1974 touring South Africa. The British Lions call 99. Willie John McBride invented the 99 call, a signal for the whole team to join the melee and show they would not stand for the violent tactics of the opposing South African teams. It was a call to arms in a one-in, all-in manner, so the referee would be unable to identify any single instigator and would be left with the choice of sending all the players off the ground or none from the ground. It was effective in telling these South Africans, play the game of rugby, we ain't going to stand for your nonsense. Oh... 99. 99. All in. You've got to be a little bit careful that you know, Maxwell Smart wasn't sort of in the team because he might <laughs> get the shoe phone out. Yeah, they called 99. Well, I have a feeling. 99 Luftballoon. Nina. <laughs> is it? 99 Red Here's a favourite. Rosie Ruiz, the great marathon runner, the, the Cuban-born American from Havana who won the Boston Marathon 1980 in record time. What a legend. She came in first with barely a bead of sweat. Um, unfortunately, Rye, later it was discovered that, well, she caught the subway and joined the race with a couple of kilometres to go. Now, now hang on. Those of you who think this is easy, think again. She had to stay up all night while the other athletes were in bed studying the bus and train timetables. At one stage, did you know, she discovered that her multi-rider had expired and she had to quickly purchase a new one. That held her up. So, look, it's not as easy as people might believe and it's a very rare tactic. And you know what? I admire Rosie for, for her efforts. Rosie. We love from you, Rosie. Havana. Havana, Sorry, dirty good detail. I just want to talk about one of the greatest tactics of all time. Oh, what's this one? The wind kill. Ooh, and yeah. you remember it well? On oh, the boys. Well, and and you you it out of the water. Like Moses parting the sea. What a day. Well, they lost the first two races, didn't they? Uh, a bit of gear failure. They, <laughs> they came back and smashed <laughs> them when they counted. 
were they? Eh? They were certainly on the gear, and they got off the gear <laughs> and uh, smashed it in the end there. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Ben Lexon, Sarah, Wingkill, you see, right, it was, it was psychological as, as well as physical, and finally we gave the Americans something to think about. What a great tactic, you know, they tried court right. cases, everything, covered to, the keel, so oh, there was a shroud of mystery oh, about it all the time. Hide it, I put it in a big box, wrap it up, you know, fiberglass it so no one can get to it, didn't they even have underwater detectives? That's right, yeah, guarding Watching it. it, that's right. Oh, brilliant. Great tactic. Tactic. Perhaps one of the best tactics oh, of all time. Absolutely, yeah, that's right. Just quickly, 1968 Olympic Games, how brilliant was this? When they watched uh, Mr Dick Fosbury flop over the uh, high jump bar and people think, you know, they're pointing and giggling, like, what the heck is that? But he smashed them. It was a brilliant tactic that ever since, okay, has always been utilised, but up until then they used to try and straddle and scissor kick their, their way over the, the high jump bar. Well, Fosbury revolutionised the technique of high jump forever by landing on his back instead of going the straddle. He's lucky he had some nice padding because in my day at the Noangarup District oh, High yeah. School Athletics Carnival, uh, the old sand patch is hard as cement. Well, you'd better and get one good jump in. Well, you better make sure your first jump is your best. Yeah, well, you would. Because <laughs> they'd have the ambulance waiting there. Yeah, you would be carried <laughs> off on a stretcher and diagnosed with a broken back. And so, the, and ride drive, when you've come out of your coma, congratulations, you've won the high jump and yep. your anger up. And there's um, your ribbon. And there's all Missy. your teammates alongside you who also attempted the Fosby flop. <laughs> Unfortunately, we didn't have any high jump mats. <laughs> but I believe the PNC are putting together a, a little um, fund and we're going to try and buy some for next year. Yeah, I agree. Deflate gate in the NFL. Now, they used to actually deflate the, the gridiron balls so it would be easier to throw and catch for the, the great Tom Brady. This was, of course, in, in 2015, the New England Patriots. Interesting tactic, and I believe it was, it was mirrored by um, baseball tactics they used to try and freeze the baseball to make it harder to actually be able to hit and, and throw. What about when Adelaide decided to walk on hot coals with Nigel not so smart? Whose brilliant idea pre-season was that? Cornsy. (laughs) The the aptly named Uh, Graham Corns? The aptly named Graham Corns because um, (laughs) he burnt his corns off. (laughs) That was the 1992 pre-season camp. They had a motivational uh, guest speaker, rev them up. There's 40 blokes lined up ready to go. But only one deal actually made it to the all-fated Walk of Faith. Seems to be a bit of a trend oh, with yeah, the Adelaide, Adelaide Football Club. <laughs> That's right, the pre-season camp. And their camp. latest uh, misdemeanour, <laughs> their pre-season camp for uh, Looney Tunes. <laughs> I love Tonya Harding. I won't have too much to say about... Look, as Bogans go, she was the greatest ice skater of all time. Strong in the hips. Now, it's fair to say, right, when when brains were being given out, Tonya Harding's husband and his mate, they were absent that day. They were, they were not members of Mensa. They were at the they back of the line. were not the sharpest tools in the shed. They were not in the gifted and talented Oh, cars. no, no. They were waiting outside, absent for the, yeah. for the math test. And, of course, smashing Nancy Kerrigan in the knee, Ooh. well, Nancy actually went on to uh, win the, the silver medal regardless, ruined Tonya Harding's career. Well, not totally. Didn't she get involved yeah. in some uh, kickboxing? Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Amateur boxing. Boxing career and... Pole uh, dancing. Movies, that's correct, yeah. yeah. And uh, what sort of movies? 
Um, B grade oh, porn. B grade porn, yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Nah, poor old Tonya, we love you. Uh, there is also that sport, uh, chess boxing. Yeah, that was from another episode, yes. too, wasn't it? Remember that? Yeah, I'm sure some of our listeners will, will recall. Yeah, and, um, man versus horse and all sorts. There would be a lot well, man versus horse, yes, <laughs> but there were a lot of tactics involved in chess boxing. <laughs> and the main Mortality. tactic, yeah. when you're coming up against Mike Tyson in chess yeah. boxing, uh, play chess first. Yes. <laughs> and, and win. Then, yes, and win. And win very then quickly. Secondly, so you don't get to the boxing part. You do your impersonation <laughs> of Jesse Owen. <laughs> and get out of there. And out that door. And just before we wind it up here, Rob, right, we've had a text from Dr. Steve from uh, South Perth, and he's mentioned that we should uh, talk about the, the grunt in tennis. Now, it's sort of Ooh, been perfected by yes, many players, like Sharapova or Sharapova, as uh, George Griesich used to say. Uh, now, is, is it a tactic? Is it just a, an, an expulsion of air in, in the effort of playing the shot? Or what, what some people have said, it actually masks the sound of the ball striking the racket. Oh, it's interesting. I've never heard that which one is before. therefore difficult to pick up um, the direction and how hard the ball's been. Or is it just to completely annoy and irritate the, the opponent? Look, I'd just like to turn our attention to a bit of rugby. And what about... Our good old friend, um, Hopper. Hopper, right, eh? Yeah, come on, mate. He's worth that. Uh, he used a lot of great tactics. <laughs> no, underhanded. There was one memorable tactic, yeah, I'd love I'd, it. I guess, uh, mm. where he had to extract the digit. Headline. Um, Headline. Performing for his team. <laughs> 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 no, it was um, a tackling technique, I, I suppose, that was uh, rather uncomfortable for his opponents. And um, extremely, it didn't really put him in a, in, a, in a great light with his teammates. Well, I have a theory that he was trying to gain some practical experience in life after rugby as a proctologist. <laughs> All right, yeah, <laughs> you made that up. Yeah, doing dirty work. I'm a fool to do your dirty work. Oh yeah, I don't wanna do your dirty work no more. So what's it time for now, Rye? Stars in 45. Yes. Welcome to the greatest sports quiz since Railingworth dragged the English cricket team off the Sydney cricket ground in 1971. Stars in 45. This week's sensational prize is a free set of curtains from Dool's Drapery. Come in and talk up a deal with Bruce, a man of few words but full of action when it comes to bargains in linen. Drop in now to Dool's Drapery and get 25% off all navy blue curtains in store. Dool's Drapery, the quiet achiever in linen. Another great prize on offer there, right? For the first caller on 93229499 to correctly answer the following. Who was the New Zealand batsman who faced the infamous underarm delivery in the one-day cricket match at the MCG back in 1981? Gordon Marsh is saying no, mate, but I'm sure he's going to bowl an underarm delivery on the last ball and bowl it along the ground and be sure that it has not been hit for six. The umpires have been told, the batsmen have been told, and this is possibly a little bit disappointing, they're going to bowl an underarm. We have a believed it. And that's a disappointing finish. On the line we have Barry from Westminster who correctly answered Brian McKechnie. How are you Barry? 
Uh, no, Barry from Belga, mate, not Westminster. Barry, Belga, uh, sorry, yeah. Barry, Barry from Belga. For about an hour. I'll just what are you doing in there, you <laughs> We're working hard today, Barry. I hope you're having a good day. Yeah, okay. And look, we, we wish well, you luck I'll, here I'll, with... Uh... I've got a few tactics to win this one, I can tell you. <laughs> okay. You know? <laughs> Answering yeah. the questions correctly would probably be good enough. Here we go. Yeah, okay, mate. Look, welcome yeah. to Stars in 45, Barry from Belga. In 45 yeah. seconds, I'll be naming a range of Australian sports stars. You need to respond with the sport that was their claim to fame. Let's go. Tom Brady. The Brady Bunch. NFL footy. Diego Maradona. The Dribbler. Soccer. Douglas Jardine. Oh, scoundrel. Cricket. John Bertrand. The skipper. Sailing. Ely Nastasi. John Hopawate. Ruggers. Uh, Tonya Harding. Uh, boxing. Yeah, she's a boxer. Terry Wallace. The Gromit, AFL footy. George Foreman. Downhill scheme, I reckon. Javid Meandad. Cricket. Lucas Neal. Oh, Rocky Neal's brother, AFL. Dick Fosbury. The Fosbury Slick Star, uh, high jump. And Rosie Ruiz. Uh, Ooh, there's the timer. Yeah. What? I'm a bit of... Oh, I'll protest, mate, with all your coughing in the background there. I couldn't hear that last question, sorry. Question there. Have a quick tally. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You've got ten. Do you reckon that's going to be enough to, to win the prize? I didn't hear the timer. Not happy. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show anyway, Barry. So there you go, Ryan. What did you reckon of Barry there? Oh, he's a hothead, isn't he? Because I got a bit upset with you there. Oh, like dirty Gordito. He was out there doing his best. and uh, <sighs> What did he uh, get wrong? Oh, look, we can't pay Tonya Harding with boxing. Uh, oh. She's down as an ice skater. Oh, I tell you what, she did a bit of boxing, but <laughs> didn't she? That's well, true. I don't know who you want to deliberate uh, on that one. Of course, Lucas Neal is not Lucky Neal's brother. He played soccer for Australia. <laughs> Cap- <laughs> Captain the Australia, the soccer. Oh, what a ripper. Yeah. Well, it, was, it was a good effort by Barry. And what about uh, George Foreman? What do you say for George Foreman? Oh, uh, downhill yeah. steer. Yeah, that one's got a cross next to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think George might have been better yeah, in the I'll boxing ring. I'll tell you what, uh, possibly, <laughs> more than likely. But I'll tell you what, he's from Belga, and they've got a great high school out there at oh, Belga Senior yeah. High, oh, School uh, of the school, Arts, the and I bet you Barry's arts. on the council, on the PNC, <laughs> doing his bit for that place. Yeah, all right, there. well, we, we might give him another shot one day. Yeah, perhaps. Take a seat, Dirty Gordito. <laughs> so it's been a great episode, and I just want to finish off because there's one tactic you have deliberately ignored. Oh, uh, no, what's this? I know you've been upset. You passed through your grieving. However, it's about time that you manned up, stop the denial, stop blaming everybody, and finally accept the fact that they cheated. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, I know. Do you mean... Sandpaper Saturday. The three of them got out there. Look, yeah. I tell you what, one of them thought he was in Mr. Fisher's woodwork class and got out the yellow sandpaper. <laughs> no. <laughs> Swept it up there. Sweetie. Yep. Yeah, Davey. Yep. And then their little mate Cam. Cam. Yeah, yeah. it was a disgrace, mate. Yeah, yeah. Very embarrassing oh, for Australian God, cricket. God. As tactics Christ. go, mate. It grates oh. with you, doesn't it? So... Um, there was a fraction too much friction. Indeed, according to Tim Finn. Shall yep. we leave it there? Okay. Uh, yeah, looking forward to our next oh, episode, buddy. So until our next episode, we'll see you later. Ciao. Bye. There's a fraction too much friction. There's a fraction too much friction. There's a fraction too much friction.
Yeah.